Welcome to the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Lindsay Behrens. This is our preview of the 2016 Fringe NYC Festival. We highlight 15 shows that we're looking forward to seeing, but we want to know, what are you excited to see? Tell us on Twitter. Max Moo is at Max Moo. Jose is at Jose Solis Mayen. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Behrens. Enjoy the show. Okay, we are here to talk about the New York Fringe Festival. Oh, man. This is our third year of discussing the Fringe. Third. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So let's start with introductions. Jose. Hi, I'm Jose Solis. I'm the chief theater critic uh, for Stage Buddy. Awesome. And Jack? I'm Jack Moore. I'm the literary associate at the Joseph Pat Public Theater New York Shakespeare Festival, and my views are my own. And I'm Liz, and I'm Fuck Yeah, Great Plays. All right, and I'm Lindsay at Max Moo. Okay, so before we get started, I wanted to run down a few just basics about the Fringe. And sometimes Jack likes to chime in with more sort of descriptors. I do? Yeah, I think in the past you've kind of given us more of a like, where is the Fringe in the narrative of New York City theater, Ooh, I which like you that. may or may not do today. <laughs> no, I shall, totally up to you. I shall be both dog and pony. Okay, good. <laughs> so the New York International Fringe Festival is in its 20th year. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. God bless them. Amazing. Shows run from August 12th through the 28th, so that's 16 days. There are about 200 shows at 16 different venues, mostly in lower Manhattan. But there's one thing in Central Park. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, tickets are $18 a show. There are discounts for kids, seniors, and groups. There are also discount passes if you plan to go to multiple shows. And there's an all-you-can-see pass for $500. Jeez. Yeah. Um, this year, they're doing something no- new, which is called uh, Fringe Plus Performances. Every show has a particular performance where there is an after-show cast and crew party that the audience is invited to, and those are all indicated on the what website. Lo- what a lovely idea. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, there are two fringe lounges, one at Clemente on Suffolk and one at Downtown Art on East 4th Street. Uh, the website where you can get ticket and additional show information along with dates and times and locations is fringenyc.org. And as always, very importantly, there's no late seating, and they're very serious about that. Like, no late seating at all. If the show is at 7, and you get there at 7.01... They will not let you in. Get your ass to Starbucks. You got an hour to kill, because they're not (laughs) letting you in at all. They run... It's amazing. Most of the Fringe Festival... Uh, uh, for all of his 20 years has been largely volunteer-based in terms of the labor required to put up this gargantuan festival. Uh, To that end, if you're willing to volunteer for the Fringe Festival, I assume it's the same policy as always, Uh, if you're uh, willing to go and be an usher or tear tickets um, or otherwise uh, donate your time to Fringe NYC for this festival, uh, you can get uh, free tickets to the shows that way as well. Yep. yeah, but it's it's just amazing to me that like all of this is mostly volunteer labor that puts all of this together. It just it's it's I, I don't quite understand how they make it work, but it's they just do tons every time. of people who love theater, which is amazing. Yeah, the theater community is so great. Absolutely. And the festival is juried. Uh, it's not just everybody applies and gets accepted. They submit scripts, and those are read by panels, and uh, they're selected based on the strength of the 
product they have at that moment, which is usually in an early phase of development. Yeah. So, I, I know that all too well. Yeah, I so, did it twice. <laughs> yeah. So you've done it in the past, but not this year, Jack. No. Is that right? No. No, I didn't too do much. it this year. Yeah, too much. <laughs> okay, well, do you want to add anything? Does anyone want to add anything else about their feelings about Fringe? It's not, um, you know, some people don't care for the fringe in New York City. They, um, I don't know, I suppose they can tell us on the social media outlets their <laughs> feelings about it, but does anybody at the table want to add anything broadly about the fringe in New York City? I, just, I love fringe. I think it's so fun. I love supporting it. We were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. We weren't sure what we were going to do about fringe or coverage, and I... I just love it. I love the community. I love it. It's all these people, so many people having their first major production, which just gives this wonderful energy. And it's either, you know, it's amazing or it might be a spectacular failure. But like, it's all these people putting themselves out there, a lot of them for the first time, mm. a lot of new stuff, a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. And that enthusiasm and energy is just so fun to be around. It's such a great community of people yeah it's 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 worth saying that if you uh you know if no matter who you are or what your sort of your tastes are theatrically there is something there's some corner of the fringe festival for you uh, one of the things i really love about the festival is that it's it's plays and musicals yes but it's also cabaret it's stand-up comedy it's dance it's movement pieces and every possible thing in between all of these things and liz i think it's really important to to underscore what you said it it a lot of the people, you know, you're not you're not going to recognize too many names in this festival if you're a savvy theater person, just because these are people not just from New York but from all over the country and the world who apply the the international in the New York International Fringe Festival, and a lot of them are trying shit out for the first time, and this is their first time performing in New York, and it's wonderful to go out and support this. So it's worth saying that no matter what shows you decide to go see at the Fringe. You're going to be taking a bit of a risk, and it's worth saying before we dive in that none of us really knows anything about the shows <laughs> we're about to talk about. I mean, maybe maybe we do, maybe we don't, but... Uh, you know, something that they kept over uh, on the website, they did this last year, and I loved it. I'm so glad they did it again. Uh, it's a Find Your Fringe quiz, where you put in sort of like what theater you like to see and all that, and then it gives you a bunch of recommendations based on that, and I think that's fabulous. Like, why why not do that? That's a perfect segue into getting to our things that we're looking forward to. So again, we haven't seen any of the shows we're going to talk about. We only know as much about them as appears on the Fringe website, which roughly puts us and our audience in exactly the same <laughs> seating for this endeavor. But we've plowed through the website and the press releases and based on things we will describe in our discussion found things that looked exciting to us now there are four people at the table we each have multiple recommendations so i think we're just gonna do a sort of lightning round style let's just go quickly around the table and say what show we like or we're interested in or excited about and our reasons for that and then we can just move through a whole bunch of these all right keep it quick gang. so why don't you kick us off liz all right so i'm gonna go with uh Iphigenia amongst the taurians uh, which is an adaption from Euripides' play. Um, Everyday Inferno Theater Company is doing that. They did The Roaring Girl, which Nicole and I saw. Uh, it was an adaptation of a Marlowe, I think, an old Marlowe play that nobody does. And it was, I was blown away. I, I had very low expectations going in. It wasn't like the third floor of a yoga studio type uh, theater space with no air conditioning. Um, but it was great. They had such a fun adaptation. So this is is sort of 
one of my favorites, a classical feminist play that nobody does anymore, um, where foreign visitors are sentenced to death and a group of captain, captive women dream of escape, revenge, and the homes they left behind. And it's, a, it's actually a sequel to uh, Iphigenia at Aulis, which Anne Washburn adapted and did a performance of earlier this year. So basically two really obscure Euripides plays, and I'm going to get to see the whole series, guys, and I'm really pumped about that. Absolutely. Um, and it is outdoors. It's going to be in Central Park at oh. Summit Rock, which I believe the Fringe Alfresco plays are free, right? That's my understanding that yeah. this show is free. That they're like 6.30 every night and you just show up. So it's going to be at Summit Rock in Central Park. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There we go. Um, there's going to be a theme with my picks, and um, those are just titles that I think are awesome or hilarious. <laughs> so the first one that caught my eye as I was scanning through the booklet uh, was While Ophelia's Korean Drum Weeps. <laughs> this is from The Young Company, um, and this is a theater company out of South Korea. Uh, so this is an international show um, at the French Festival. And um, the, the description knocks me out. So as we all know, um, about 400 years ago or so, Ophelia uh, uh, died. And then, uh, somewhere, a Korean drum starts to beat, and Ophelia is reawoken. And so, thus begins this solo drama, um, in which uh, Ophelia tells you about, uh, according to the website, her love, loss, and longing for her dear mother. So, solo show drama from Korea about Ophelia. Uh, 15 minutes long, this is at the Abrazo Interno at the Clemente. Um, I just, that sounds super weird. And it looks like it is uh, adapted, directed, and performed by the same person who is Ji Young Choi, uh, who I know nothing about. And I, I don't know. I'm going to buy a ticket just because that's uh, a hell of a title and a hell of a description. Cool. So just like Jack, I have a very sophisticated method for finding my shows. <laughs> and mine's basically I go to the genre thing and I pick musicals. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So, but the first one, though, that I had to, uh, that I'm really excited about isn't even technically a musical per se, but it's something called At the Crossroads Music for Faust. And it's a live film score to the 1926 version of Faust, which was yeah, F.W. Murnau's last movie in Germany, which I, I'm sure there's like, maybe I'm just like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm sure there's a reason why they picked this one. It's also pretty cool, but also like it was the last movie he made in Germany before like he had to move to Hollywood because like the Nazis were crazy and blah, 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 and awful things. This movie uh, is awesome. Uh, it's like if you've all seen, I mean, who hasn't seen Fantasia, right? And it's the uh, it has the sequence that inspired that terrifying night on Bald Mountain thing that gave us all nightmares oh. when we were children. Mm -hmm. So now, like, if you imagine that with like actual like live actors and like real props, it's even more fucking terrifying. Um, I don't know what the music sounds like, but it sounds pretty cool. And also, there's this like, uh, what is it like a like a recurring I guess thing of modern bands taking on silent films because you know like they're like blank canvases in a way, so they can put whatever sound in they want and just like earlier this year i saw that amazing one uh that tanya tagak did at the uh public the Raider Festival, she, yeah. yeah where she uh scored uh nanook of the north so i'm i mean just the possibilities of everything you can do with sound and like uh silent film are mind-blowing so go see faust great Wait, what was it called again at the crossroads music the crossroads. for faust yeah. cool all right one of the shows that I'm looking forward to is Night of the Living N-Word, which oh, is man. a play by Kevin R. Free. 
uh, and his theater company, My Carl Productions. This play is a parody of horror movies like Night of the Living Dead uh, that examines the current political crisis we're having in the country related to violence against black men and women by the police. And based on the description, I think that at the center of this play is a white woman who wants to help, um, but perhaps doesn't go about doing that in the most constructive manner possible. So the way <laughs> it's described in the press release is, there's nothing scarier than a white woman bent on saving a race. When guests at Channing's party go missing, Barbara holds the key, a slasher comedy with a bloody point. <laughs> Can you bury the N-word? Can you make it die? So this was recommended to me by a friend of the podcast, Todd Backus, who has provided some uh, dramaturgical support. I don't know if I said that right. Dramaturgical. Dramaturgical. Yeah. Dramaturgical. Dramaturgical <laughs> is way cool. Anytime you can add more syllables to a long I mean, word, I'm for it. You know, theater outsider here. <laughs> so he has said this is going to be a great show. Um, I, as a white woman who also supports Black Lives Matter, know that there are many pitfalls. So I look forward to seeing them examined on stage. I think it sounds fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. All right, so... Not to trump you guys, but I think I may have found the best title. Let's go. Friend. Hit me. Um, happy, lucky, golden tofu, panda, dragon, good time, fun time show. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Bam. Uh, <laughs> by the slanty-eyed mamas. Oh my wow. god. Yep. Uh, oh man. So uh, Kate, Kate Rigg, and Lee Ryan are the slanty-eyed mamas. They do what they call cyber buto. I don't even know what that could be, but I'm into it, that combination of words. <laughs> um, they describe themselves as sort of a, an Asian version of deaf poetry jam. They do spoken word, they do stand-up, they do music, and it's all based around rock and roll, uh, immigration, bowl cuts, model minorities, and Hello Kitty everything. Uh, so these women, they've toured all over the place. They have performed with Justin Vivian Bond a lot. Oh, what? Yeah. And it just, like, I don't know what the hell this could be, but I'm sold. I want to go see it. Uh, I don't know. I guess when I look at Fringe, besides looking at amazing titles, I always try and see, like, where is, what have these people done before? And they have a really good pedigree coming into it. They've worked with a lot of people I like. They've kind of performed all over the place. So I feel like they're pretty solid. A pretty solid bet for me. And God, that title is just the best. Cool. Awesome. That's all I got. I'm going to go uh, to, I, I love anything that takes on uh, religion in, in an interesting way. And so I will be attending a musical uh, entitled The Unusual Tale of Mary and Joseph's Baby. This is a musical comedy that is uh, inspired by, uh, based on obviously the nativity story of Jesus. Um, and the main reason I'm excited about it is because um, the music and lyrics are by John Chafer, who I'm not familiar with. But the book is by Chris Craig and Day, who is a playwright that I love. She uh, is 
is uh, long ago a graduate of the Emerging Writers Group, uh, which I now run at the Public Theater. And um, she thinks very, very deeply and uh, uh, interestingly about religion and about a number of other subjects. So I'm very excited to see um, how this is, uh, how, how they slant this story. Um, uh, Chris runs this thing called the Firebone Theater Company, which has had a couple of uh, smaller productions throughout New York City in the past few years. This is their fringe debut. I'm very excited to see what's going to come uh, come of this. Uh, so yeah, The Unusual Tale of Mary and Joseph's Baby. That's what I got for that one. I am a sucker for a good Christopher Walken impression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't make one, so if anyone here can, please do it at some point for me. Uh, but so Christopher Walken is like the main uh, character, I guess, in a musical called Walken on Sunshine. <laughs> 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 Which is about... <laughs> About a filmmaker who lies to his investors and he tells them that he got Christopher Walken to be in his movie, but he doesn't even know Christopher Walken. So the show is about this filmmaker trying to find Christopher Walken. The, the, the synopsis promises quirky love, bad guys, and cowbells, of course. Of course cowbells. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know. I just can't wait to see That's this. Like, when, when I think of a fringe show, that's what I think of. A Christopher yep. Walken musical. I know, right? Oh my god. You know, there's an improv troupe in New York City where everyone just improvs as Christopher yeah. Walken. It's called it's called Walken's Welcome. And they all play Christopher Walken. Yeah, we'll I go think one you time. need to go see we'll go. this for please. sure. Yes, please. They <laughs> perform at the pit usually, Yeah, right? they do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds remarkable. All right, if there are any fans of the band Interpol, of which I count myself, there is a one-person show by Carlos Dengler in the Fringe who is a member of and co-founder of that band. Now, I don't think that there are musical elements to this show, but it is about his life, and I think it's more of a one-man storytelling type show, but it involves his experience starting at life as a 20-year-old pizza delivery boy in Princeton, New York, and ending 15 years later... Um, when he left Interpol, you know, one of the great indie rock bands of the 2000s. Um, And I just think it sounds interesting. I think one thing that The Fringe does um, is take people who are have experienced some success in other areas, but lets them try something new. Right. And so you will see people who have a pedigree in one space doing something totally new and original. And I think that is one of the real values of Fringe and festivals like it. And so it caught my attention and I wanted to bring it to the attention of any listeners who might be interested in the band and his experience. Yeah, it it, it also leads me to sort of another piece of contextual information around the Fringe, which is this is a giant festival. There are hundreds of artists that participate in it, and there are many venues, but uh, in each and any given venue that participates in the Fringe Festival, there are usually somewhere close to a dozen shows occupying the same space. And you'll notice if you go on the website to look at some of these shows, the show times can be very strange. Like, yes, there's, you know, everyone gets like a a prime time like Friday at 7 o'clock spot, but a lot of times you'll see Wednesday day at noon mm-hmm. and the reason for that is just because they got to stuff all of these shows into a very limited number of venues and from what I know because I participated in the French Festival many years ago as an actor 
uh, you, uh, it, it's a very uh, sort of, it, you know, there's no late seating. There's also no late uh, moving out your show. So if you're participating in a fringe show, there's likely a show happening, a very different show, right after the curtain comes down. So your runtime has to be really specific, and you have 15 minutes to load in your actors, your set, your props, and your audience, and then 15 minutes at the end of your show to load out. That's why... Uh, you're not going to see like super, super great production value just because right. it's very like people you'll you'll see if you wait in line for French shows people walking in with like roller suitcases full of props and things in like full makeup and costume ready to go you have to <laughs> right. be ready to go and to yeah. that end I think that one of the themes you're going to hear as we go around this table some more is solo shows just because they're super easy to pack yeah, up yeah. and yeah. and and move so um, yeah little fun fact about the yeah. French festival stage managing two French shows made me the <sighs> best packer of all time. oh my god you know you have a bunch of boxes and you just like throw everything in and you fold it you have to fit it into a very you also have very limited storage space at the theater too it's like a square to two in or a two foot square yep you just a lot of vertical space you yep just, gotta pack up your Shakespeare adaptation so that the Taylor Swift solo show can yeah. come in 15 minutes later I remember seeing a show while you're at Fringe and their entire set was um, probably 24 file boxes and that was God. the set that every single prop was in there, every piece that they needed, and that was it. And, it just, and then they packed everything up and they stacked it up really high and it was done. It was, yeah. it was so smart. Great, yeah. be- beautiful concept. Um, so speaking of solo shows, uh, the next one is Canuck Down Under by Jessica Cosmel. <laughs> and it is her story after the loss of her brother, whose screen name was Canuck Down Under. And it's about grieving in the age of social media, which I feel like a broken because I feel like I brought this up last time we did a preview um, for the show Seen by Everyone, which I didn't make it to. But I'm just really interested in grieving and social media and how we deal with death now that you sort of have this internet imprint that lives forever. Uh, so it's Jessica mourning the tragic loss of her brother discovers how the tweet generation has redefined the grieving process and what remains online once we die. Uh, and she's developed it with the tank. Love the tank. They do. They have a great you know, incubation for artists. So I've I have good thoughts about this one. Awesome. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, an artist uh, who was previously at the Fringe that is coming back with another show. A couple years ago, I was introduced to um, a show. Uh, oh my God, the name is escaping me right now. Um, by this amazing um, solo performer. He is a uh, hip-hop uh, 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 spoken word performing artist named Kilosan Batista. He is a Filipino-American, and his show in uh, The Fringe a couple years ago was sort of an autobiographical solo show about his uh, Filipino family immigrating to Los Angeles and him growing up both in his Filipino family but also embracing the culture, the growing culture of hip-hop um, in Los Angeles and the broader United States. And it was a multimedia show. There was dance, there was song, it was just this this absolutely hyperkinetic wonderful young performer uh, that I've uh, just admired since I first uh, saw him there. I haven't heard a lot from him since, but he's coming back to the Fringe with a show called Transcend, which is um, takes place in Brooklyn, New York, and it is about uh, quote, the fight against gentrification, and um, it is from the perspective of the confessions of a, uh, a homeless artist uh, living in Brooklyn. Uh, so, I, I, that's a very broad sort of uh, sketch of what the show is going to be, uh, but having seen 
seen Kilisan uh, perform before, I think it's going to be visually dynamic and interesting and fun. Um, and uh, I'm I'm always willing to go when you have someone who's a really charismatic and skilled storyteller. I can kind of go anywhere with you if you'll take me. So I'm going right back and hanging out with Kilisan. This is going to be at um, the a venue called the Alpha Omega. Hey Jack, where's that? I don't know. I don't know where that I didn't is. Know that was a place. I don't know what that is, uh, but I'm sure the French has details uh, on its website about what the hell that is. Um, so yeah, cool. That caught my eye too. I'm glad to hear you're familiar with that performer because I think oh. it sounds really yeah. Kill sounds rad, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to a show called. Uh, I always butcher the title, so hold on. Love Me Forever, Billy H. Tender, which is a show about this like Justin Bieber type pop star who decides to go the folk way and lose like all his fans. And yeah, you know how that goes. So he comes back home to visit his mom and his uh, brother. His brother's like resentful because his brother's a superstar and he's not. And his mom spends all the time drinking and uh, having like sex calls with like strangers. The cool thing about this, I guess, is that all three characters are played by one person, uh, this actor called Jesse Labercombe, who also wrote the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's coming from a sold out run in Toronto and I've read the reviews from Toronto and there are like people were like I don't get the show please explain it to me which I'm like this sounds like amazing <laughs> and it also made me think a lot about uh, Xavier Dolan's movies which are you know like uh, basically like dramas about like young men and their moms so that sounds exciting as well and uh, when when I was doing research about the show I also uh, interviewed Jesse but when I was doing research before talking to him we need I think we need like more trailers for plays and for musicals. Mm. And if you go to his website, he has trailers for all of his work. And they're not your usual, you know, like cats in like full costume singing, jellical cats and whatever uh, type of thing <laughs> that we see on Broadway. But he does this like very beautiful short films for his trailers. Like they're not scenes from the plays themselves. They're just like things that kind of capture the uh, message, I guess, or the, uh, the, the, creative elements of the show. So the one for uh, Love Me Forever, Billy H. Tender, is amazing, and I think you all should check it out at some point. Great. I'm so glad you mentioned videos, because I meant to mention the videos for the first play that I mentioned, Night of the Living N-Word. They have these videos um, connected to the play where they ask people who should be allowed to say the N-Word, who should not be allowed to say the N-Word. And I don't know exactly where all the people they interviewed come from, Honestly, it looked like some of them were just like man on the street interviews. And I found the responses in the video to be very affecting. I watched it and I was like kind of just, you know, taken aback. It was really interesting. So even if you have no interest in this play, I would recommend that you go and watch these videos. They're really interesting. Where are they? They're connected to the play's website. I think you can get to it through the listing on the Fringe website. Um, So... I, anyway, thanks for raising videos because I totally forgot. Okay, so the play I want to talk about, um, the part of the reason this came to my attention and my interest in raising it on the podcast is I feel like it's um, in the same vein of a play we recently talked about, which is hashtag liberated. Um, this play is called The Fucking Problem, and uh, it is about to porn stars and the problems that the stigma attached to porno- the pornogra- 
pornography in our culture and specifically pornographic performers, the cultural perception of their promiscuity and the boundaries of consent. I think this is a topic that we talk about on a lot on the podcast and I was interested to see that there was a show in the fringe uh, on the topic. And I just want to mention the names of the individuals involved. It's by Emily Alexander and Nate Dobson, directed by Jessica O'Hare Baker. I don't know any of those individuals, but I was intrigued by their show concept. I know that I know Nate Dobson, good writer. Very oh, good you writer. do? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. well, there you very go. Very good writer, so there's that. Also, uh, the, I like that title because was, I, you said The Fucking Problem, mm-hmm. but then as soon as you did a description, I was like, oh, it should be called The Fucking Problem. Right. <laughs> I like Emphasis. I like titles. It's a <laughs> bit of a multifaceted I love it. title. It means two things. Okay, do you guys want to do one more? Yeah. I got one more. Okay, cool, do it. Damn. Uh, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I love feminist classical plays that nobody does. Um, Girl versus Corinth by Danny Baird, which is an electro pop cabaret retelling of Medea, which I guess people do do, but probably not exactly in this electro uh, cabaret <laughs> format. Um, but it also features appearances by Betty Friedan, Rebecca Walker, and Mary Wollstonecraft. Sure. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. I, a long time ago, I worked on a show called Lizzie, which was a sort of electro-pop cabaret retelling of Lizzie Borden with four <laughs> women. And so checking this out and then going to their website and looking at pictures, it just gave me that same vibe. And I, I, that show is so dear to my heart. Uh, and this sounds very similar, so I think I'm just inclined to like it. They also have done it at Joe's Pub. They took it to Capitol Fringe this past year, and I remember hearing good things when I was there. And they've done it at Dixon Place. So it's gotten, hopefully it's gotten some of the kinks worked out, um, if there were any. But it just sounds weird. I'm into it. Cool. Well, I will see your uh, feminist classical adaptations and raise you Richard III, a one-woman show. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, this is from the Bright Theater Company, B-R-I-T-E. Um, and it is adapted uh, from, obviously, the Shakespeare uh, by uh, Emily Carding and a name that... I, if you guys can see this name, I can't. Here we go. Ready? Whew, deep breath. Cobran Bjort Sigfusdottir. I'm sure that's the precise pronunciation. <laughs> I'm sure I nailed that. Um, and uh, so uh, the, the the description is is intriguing to me. Um, this is it says uh, 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 an audience. Anything can happen. What part will you play? Pushing the boundaries of Shakespearean performance. Bright Theater presents our multi award winning one woman show in the U S. That has gotten this is uh, so this is um, coming from uh, Edinburgh. Uh, this theater company and it has been reviewed um, by uh, several uh, outlets and has gotten just unbelievable praise uh, bestowed on it. Um, so I'm very curious to see how um, that concept plays out. I actually, I've seen a female Richard III before, and it was just fascinating. No. So I'd love to see that. Yeah, why the hell not, I say. Oh, this is also at Alpha Omega. <laughs> Where the hell is Alpha Omega? We're going to find out here. We're going to figure this out right now. Okay, let's do Jose's, and then we can go yeah, back yeah. to that. <laughs> back. I'm on it. Okay, one of the things that, uh, that always gets me excited is that if you ever ask yourself the question, which I often do, like, who would make a musical about that? Chances are it's someone at Fringe meeting. <laughs> and... There's this musical called Red Devil Moon, which is uh, an adaptation of a 
1923 book by uh, John Toomer called Cain, which is apparently one of those books that, you know, like, no one would, like, dare adapt because they're, like, so insane. Like, this one apparently kind of invented, like, hyper-modernism, whatever that is. Like, like the, the author talked about how he, uh, well, it I guess, like, a, almost 100 years ago, how he was trying to use all these different structures within the main structure of the book. So there's, like, cycles, there's, like, vignettes, there's, like, poetry, there's, like, all kinds of different things. So I'm really curious to see what a musical made out of this will be about. Uh, the book was, uh, at its core, about the experience of black people in 1920s America. So there's a lot of Jim Crow references. There's also, like, a tragic love story because, well, yeah, it was Jim Crow, like, no happy endings probably. So yeah, like I'm, I'm mostly really curious about how uh, you know a book that everyone, everyone's so terrified of approaching gets turned into a piece of fiction with with song and dance. Right. Yeah. Did you figure it out? <laughs> Bet your ass I did. Uh, venue ten, Alpha Omega Theatrical Dance Company, seventy East Fourth Street between Bowery and Second Avenue. Oh, it's right in the heart of things. Yeah. Oh wait, now I see the picture of the front door. I know exactly where that is. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. one of the ten thousand theaters of. Uh, it's like 64 East 4th Street where like yeah. there's all the Paradise Factory and all these other places. That is just, I, that building is basically just like the theatrical room of requirement. It's just, there's, there's always... Isn't that by La Mama? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like right, right between La Mama, La Mama and Paradise Factory. I recognize those yeah. doors. So, there you are. That's Alpha Omega. All right. Cool. All right, well, we will be back mid-fringe. Uh, we're going to go out and see a bunch of these shows, a bunch of other shows, and... A subset of this group who is in town on that day will <laughs> report <Jack>. back. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Jack's out of town. Um, we'll report back on what we saw, what was great, what was wacky, what was terrifying, <laughs> and what was a surprise hit. So please rejoin us then. Let's fringe it up. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. Did we skip the show you're excited about? Tell us on Twitter. All of our Twitter handles are at the beginning of this podcast and on the show page at maxmoo.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, we have merch. Coffee mugs and tote bags printed with your favorite Maxmoo-isms. All proceeds go to upgrading our equipment. We will see you in two weeks with reviews from The Fringe. Theatrical Media.